Saturday Sport on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Zucar, the no-hassle way of buying and selling used cars in Ireland. Open seven days a week. Visit zucar.ie. It's been a near two-week-long saga and the outcome of Novak Djokovic's attempt to gain access to Australia and play in the Australian Open, which starts on Monday, rests on an appeal over the cancellation of his visa, cancelled twice, and that appeal will be heard in the federal court tomorrow in Australia, in Melbourne. In the early hours of Sunday morning, it, uh, it is at the moment, actually, it's around heading towards two o'clock there, and inside the last hour, I've been speaking to the BBC tennis correspondent, Russell Fuller, who's in Melbourne. He told me how the lie of the land is right there at the moment on a story which has absorbed the nation, especially in some cases, it's convulsed the citizens of one of the most COVID-affected lockdown cities in the world, which is, of course, Melbourne. He's spending his second consecutive Saturday night in a detention centre in an asylum hotel called the Park Hotel in Melbourne, Greg. And that's something he knew would happen once he decided to challenge the Immigration Minister Alex Hawke's decision to revoke his visa for a second time. If he'd accepted the verdict, I think they would have let him go to the airport without too much attention from Border Force officials. But Djokovic is challenging the decision which the minister says was made on health and good order grounds on the basis that it was in the public interest to do so. And that's the challenge for Djokovic's team from 9.30 in the morning local time to try and win this argument. And it's not an easy thing to do. Um, People with far more knowledge of the Australian legal system than me will tell you that, especially when you're trying to disprove somebody doing something in the public interest, it's such a, a, a wide area. And I think they've got a real battle on their hands, Djokovic's lawyers. We're, we're deep into the realms of, of legality and politics, and we have been deep into the realms of legality and politics for quite some time in this. Um, and the fact that Novak Djokovic, it's pretty much accepted that he does not pose a, a huge risk to fellow players or, or anyone else for that matter. So we're into a scenario where, by the looks of things, Alex Hawke, the immigration minister, has said that he doesn't want uh, Djokovic's presence to, presence to stir anti-vaxxers into getting too excited and that's partly the reason this is a this is the main basis for the challenge i suppose yeah exactly that the issue about whether he was entitled to a medical exemption from having the vaccine the only way he could get into australia is actually now irrelevant to this particular debate i think the government realized they were on dodgy ground to try and defend it in that way because there's conflicting advice out there and Djokovic certainly and the Victorian state who granted him this exemption to travel were basing it on the government's immunology and um, vaccination advisory group. So there's a strong case to say maybe he should have been entitled to that exemption. So now it's a case of, of challenging what the minister has said and he has released a whole set of reasons as to why he took the decision he did. And the one that Djokovic's lawyers think is most easy to target is Alex Hawke's belief that as a high-profile, unvaccinated individual who's publicly said he's opposed to having the COVID vaccine, that other unvaccinated people will refuse to be vaccinated, the take-up of the booster jabs will be effective, others may not comply with public health measures, as Djokovic himself has admitted he didn't when he was in Serbia, had COVID and went out to his tennis centre to conduct an interview with journalists from L'Equipe. The response is going to be, in a nutshell, he's not a poster boy for the anti-vaccination movement. He is not a talisman. That's the way the minister is portraying our clients, and we strongly disagree. And that's probably their best chance, maybe, of, of winning this one in court. 
So effectively, at this point, it does look thin enough, uh, a thin enough chance that Djokovic will make it to the first round draw of the Australian Open. Is that fair to say? Is this a, a real last gasp attempt with this appeal in the federal court tomorrow? Yes, he was the underdog on Monday. That surprised a lot of legal onlookers. He's even more of an underdog, I'm led to believe, this time round. Is that the end of the story? Well, possibly not, because there is always the right to appeal to the High Court. But the High Court may not accept an appeal. I'm told that it really needs to depend on a particular point of law rather than a concept or an issue that's being discussed. It needs to be a, a legal sticking point, a reason for bringing the High Court in to look at it again. So I think probably we'll get a verdict sometime tomorrow, maybe breakfast time in uh, Ireland, and we'll know where we stand. I don't know if Djokovic will be on his way to the air, quite possibly on Sunday evening, or he'll have another famous victory in court and he'll be able to play Miamir Ketsmanovic of Serbia in the first round, a match that's very likely to be scheduled in the Monday night session. So the ramifications of this, if uh, if he's not successful in the appeal, are, are really serious because the chances of him facing a three-year ban are, are like, more likely than not, aren't they? Yeah, that's the standard position, a three-year ban. There is the possibility that that could be lifted if it was deemed to be in Australia's national interest, effectively. Now, who knows what's going to happen? But given that Djokovic has fought this all the way and it's been such a controversial issue, if the same government are in power in a year's time, and that's not a given because there's a general election coming up in Australia in the next six months, uh, they may not be minded to give him a special exception. And in that case, he wouldn't be able to play the Australian Open of 2023, 2024 or 2025. And if he's still playing, he'd be 38 years of age when he came back to try and win the 10th title in 2026. I think with the possibility of this three-year ban, if he is unsuccessful tomorrow in court, um, Russell, with the possibility of last year's Grand Slam falling at the last hurdle in the final of the US Open, something that hadn't been done for half a century, effectively, if this three-year ban in Australia is imposed, he'll never have a chance of this you know, famous uh, uh, grand slam in a year uh, and, and that is one of the big things that tennis is going to possibly miss out on here It's a good point I hadn't thought of that but yes I, I don't see him winning the calendar grand slam in the year he turns 39 that's for sure uh, I think probably that's as close as we'll see anybody get at least in the men's game for a generation I think it would be a struggle for Djokovic at the age he is now even with his absolute brilliance as that next generation becomes stronger and more confident and you've got Daniel Medvedev as a Grand Slam champion now for him to do that again but it is something that only he could do in the men's game at the moment and uh, yeah that is a loss isn't it to know that that may not be possible to know that somebody may only be able to compete in three of the four legs of the Grand Slam. This is a huge moment, obviously, um, for, for Australia, because clearly it's been a, a story which has trans, you know, gone way past uh, sport. Uh, for Novak Djokovic, how serious a setback would this be to him personally, uh, the confident-natured guy that he is? And, and he believes that he's done nothing wrong uh, in terms of the rest of his career. He's always going to be remembered for this, isn't he? I mean, we'll never forget the way he's played on court. The most extraordinary performances he's strung together especially last year, as you were outlining. But in years to come, I think this will be remembered in equal measure by your average man or woman in the street, because this has been such an astonishing story, so high profile. And it's not, and this is something that may be brought up in court tomorrow. It's not that he is, I don't think, somebody who is going out, certainly not publicly, and trying to persuade other people not to have the vaccine. He has just said that, 
he does not believe in the vaccine. And he obviously feels that so strongly. But at the same time, he was prepared to get into the country on a loophole, to be in a country that has made it quite clear that if you're not vaccinated, you're not welcome. And having won his appeal and now having the visa revoked for a second time, he's he's fighting on. Some people think he should do the decent thing, make a dignified retreat. But I think he just feels, as you say, he's entitled to be in the country. Winning a 10th title here, a 21st Grand Slam title, would mean so much to him. But I'm sure if somebody had been able to give him some advice, particularly with the benefit of hindsight, they might have just said, Novak, just sit this one out. Who knows how the world will change over the next 12 to 18 months. Maybe you'll be able to travel more freely in future without a vaccination. Uh, Very, very, very damaging to him in terms of reputation. How diminished, obviously, will the men's singles draw be without Novak Djokovic in the likelihood that he fails in his appeal? Well, as Rafa Nadal says, no one is bigger than the sport. And he points to the likes of Bjorn Borg and how dominant he was. And he retires and the sport moves on. And I think he's right in a sense because we are used to players being absent. When Novak Djokovic was defaulted at the US Open in 2020 for firing that ball into the line judge's throat. Some people perhaps considered that the champion that year would be a slightly cheap champion. And it was a nerve-wracking final between Dominic Team and Alex Zverev, which Team won in a fifth-set tie-break. He has a grand slam. I think it will always be in people's minds, won't it? But I think we've got to a stage now, as these great players get that much older, that we're used to them not being there, either through injury either because they're in an asylum hotel, either because they've been defaulted. Things happen. And I think once the decision is made, and assuming he doesn't win his appeal, I think after the shock a couple of days later, the the, the tournament will move on. And there are some amazing players who will create some fantastic stories. And just finally, if he does, by some chance, win this appeal in the federal court tomorrow, what sort of a circus will unfold on Monday at the Australian Open when when he arrives on court? Yeah. Will there be a further appeal to the High Court? I'm trying to find out whether, and I think this is probably the case, the Immigration Minister could actually just keep revoking the visa again and again and again if he wanted to. But if he plays against a fellow Serb, Miamir Ketsmanovic, a friendly face, they're friends, nice guy to walk out with, that will reduce the hostility a little bit. But then again, people are going to want to make their voices heard, aren't they? And if you play in a night session, as we know from watching sport all around the world, the fans tend to be a little bit better fueled than they might be at 11 o'clock in the morning. So it, it, it will be. A circus is the right word. There'll be blanket coverage. Uh, Channel 9's ratings will go through the roof. It would be incredibly dramatic. And I think if I'm completely honest, without wanting to give an opinion on who I want to win in court tomorrow for pure sporting and human drama, it's something that a big part of me would like to see. Yeah. I think I think for those of us who want to see the best player in the world playing in the first Grand Slam of the year, it certainly is. But whether it's the right thing or not is a totally other question. Russell Fuller, uh, BBC tennis correspondent, thanks so much for, for joining us on Saturday Sport. Thanks, Greg.